0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 83, The Linux Academy, recorded February 17th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, OP.com. Like how I read right past that typo there? Who, who nice. corrected it there in the notes? Was that... <laughs> that was me. That was you, Seth? Yeah. It, yes. it said February 10th, but, but uh, I actually managed to survive. Usually, I turn my brain off and just read... And whatever it says, it reads. It's a. It's uh What is it? Uh, Anchorman moment. Uh,
1: right. You read whatever's
0: on the teleprompter. That's right. Uh, hi, folks. My name is Mark, and with me this week is, as always, uh, well, most of the time, ninety eight point three percent of the time, um, are the command line godfather, Mister Chris Neves. Hi, Christopher.
2: Hey, hey, hey! Are we having fun today?
0: Uh, that was a very <laughs> Fat Albert moment, uh, and it was. and the show to, to would not be complete without the balance from the command line Godfather, the gooey kid, Mister Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth.
1: Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Legions of Element Opites.
0: And our special guest this week is uh, Mister uh, Anthony James, also known hey. as Alex, also known as. Um, uh (laughs) amber i will call him every wrong name we've got hi anthony how's it going good how about you guys uh pretty good so tell us uh give us a five second now i'll give you 35 seconds blip about who you are and why you're here
3: well uh, as you said before my name is anthony james and i'm here because of the linux academy Uh, a little bit about my background is i work in an enterprise environment uh, on a linux team that uh for a media company that hosts uh, a lot of large sites on the internet and my background starts about 10 years ago when dial-up was really, really prevalent in our area. I worked at a dial-up company and we used Red Hat for our web hosting and that's when I first started getting into Linux. And I'm here to tell you guys a little bit about the Linux Academy.
0: Great. And we will get to that uh, shortly. Uh, We gave Alex the choice, Um, excuse me, Anthony, see, it started out as a joke. And now I'm going to call him the wrong name for the whole yeah. show. Um, Alex that's is so fine right. if that helps. <laughs> yeah, I just change people's names on a regular basis. It's, uh, it's you can
3: really always go with Anthony if you want it.
0: Anthony. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> that's actually my middle name, Mark Anthony. I guess my wife, uh, my my not my wife, my mom was into the classics, but uh, Mark Anthony. Just little little bit about your host. Uh, so yeah, Anthony is here. Uh, To tell us a little bit about the Linux Academy, Seth uh, found this um, institution as he was scouring the web for interesting news articles, as he is wont to do. And I thought, uh, hey, let's let's get somebody on and talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. But we gave uh, Anthony the choice, and we said, we can either just do the interview and send you on your way, or we can do the whole show and make you sit through it. And like the true masochist that he must be, he said, I'll stay here for the whole thing. So we're going to do our regular uh, spate of Linux news, uh, tech news, not really Linux news, and then we'll get into learning about the Linux Academy. So um, based on last week's show... We should be here for two and a half hours or so. <laughs> last, Yay! <laughs> okay. Last week we turned in what I'm pretty sure was the longest show we'd ever done at about an hour and forty six minutes. But uh, it
1: was pretty long. But it was it was an enjoyable show. Yeah, and hopefully they it were quality a,
0: minutes. That's a lot we, of
1: stuff on that one.
0: That's what we tell ourselves anyway. So yes. uh, last week Seth left us a cliffhanger about his experience with the uh, judicial system in rural East Texas. How'd that how'd that work out for you, Seth?
1: Well, I decided to, you know, go all in, and so I showed up in long pants. I didn't want to take the easy way out. But um, it was really nice. You know, they say to report at 8.30, and by 9 o'clock, we were sitting in the courtroom, and the judge gave us the whole, do you know anyone in the armed forces? Well, they're serving the country. You're serving the country, too. I've been to Russia, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so by 915, however, they dismissed us for a two and a half hour break. Uh, And then when we came back, all of the cases, she had a couple of federal cases and then 10 criminal cases, they all settled. So all of us came back and then we were done by 1130. So that was a, I'll eventually get my $6 (laughs) in the mail. I did learn something new. You get six dollars the first day, and then any the additional day. Van County is a big spender, and you get like twenty-six dollars a day. So, you know, if you make it past the first day, you can really start banking. <laughs> you so, yeah, you so can no make jury, bank, I'm still not getting selected.
0: <laughs> uh, so, so long pants was the was the kicker, huh?
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the last time I showed up in shorts because it was summer in East Texas. And apparently dress shorts disrespect the courtroom, but shredded blue jeans hanging on by a thread are perfectly acceptable.
0: <laughs> yeah, go figure. And uh, we, as we mentioned last week, uh, one of our own uh, had a birthday. And uh, yeah. Mr. Mister Command Line Godfather, how did that go for you?
2: Oh, it was really good. Um, good times are had by all, especially me. So uh, it was great. It was good fun. Uh I learned that my alcohol threshold from college is still kicking and uh a few too many drinks were had by me. Let's just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> how how many um counts as a few too many?
2: Um How about a half a bottle of bourbon? <laughs> is that a few too many?
0: See, I'm not a drinker, so for me, a few too many could be one. I, I don't know. Or or maybe I could handle dozens and not know it. Um, I don't. I don't really know. Um, but that's that's. I just wonder when somebody says I had too much to drink. What what is too much to drink?
2: I think that's kind of one of those moving targets. For me, it was a little over half a bottle of bourbon, and that was probably I should have stopped that just before that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like a lot of bourbon to me.
2: It was really tasty, though. It went down way too much, too fast, way too good.
0: <laughs> All right, I think I think maybe we should get off of that before this becomes Winos <laughs> Weekly um, or something like that.
2: No, I'd be Bourbon Drink Weekly.
0: Bourbon is uh, what? It's a fortified whiskey. What is bourbon? I don't even know.
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a fortified whiskey. It, it's it's extra filtered and extra brewed, and yeah, there's. There's whiskey, and then a, the, the the high class cousin of whiskey is bourbon.
0: All right. So I think they—that's the one that they soak in. No, whiskey is also in oak barrels. So I, See, I don't know. Yep. I have. I know. I only know about alcohol what I've seen on the Food Network. <laughs> I'm I'm a teetotaler, actually a Mountain Dew totaler. Um. Okay. Starting with the first tech news um because Seth is so fond of giving us numbers uh we have numbers for you the linux distro that most runs the web
1: yeah um i don't remember how long ago maybe a month or two ago we talked about um how much like how many web servers ran Linux versus how many ran Windows. And so I came across this web stat that talks about of the Linux or of the web servers that are Linux based, what distro, um, what percentage is what distro. And uh, so I just thought it would be cool to know the top five is number one is Debian with almost one third. Uh, number two is CentOS with just over a quarter. And then Ubuntu, surprisingly, is number three, and it is gaining ground. And fourth is Red Hat, and fifth is Fedora.
0: Now, I know this is just anecdotal evidence, but that totally surprises me because I have never run a Debian web server, and I don't know anybody who's ever run a Debian web server.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. i with that one. Um,
0: so, yeah. like I said, it's just my sphere of experience. I don't know any terrorists either, uh, but um, – you know, I just find it interesting that Debian would be at 29.7%. Uh, 32.9. point
1: surprises me. Oh, it
0: went up. With, is, is it? That's right. Later in the year, it went up. Yeah, 30, 32.9. Yeah.
1: Debian is, is gaining, and Ubuntu is gaining, and CentOS is holding kind of steady, and most of the others are kind of falling. Hmm.
2: I suppose. I mean... De- Ubuntu is taking over the world, regardless if we like it or not. And right. Debian is the great granddaddy, so I, I can understand that, I guess. But, I mean, I, I would have expected CentOS to be the the monster in the in the corner, and it's kind of not.
0: Well, here's here's my theory behind that. Um, web services today are multimedia services, and CentOS sucks when it comes to multimedia because it because it tends to be so old it It doesn't have the latest p h p it doesn't have uh the latest uh flash encoders and that sort of stuff in it um and and Debian doesn't really come with all that easier but it's easier to put those in so that's that's my um wild guess as to why Debian and Ubuntu, which is a, a debian derivative uh uh between the two of them make up fifty percent of the market
1: that would make sense
0: and then uh red hat you know, was, is really the standard for people with money.
1: Uh, yeah. Right.
0: So the, the top three there don't cost anything. And so people are going to use those.
2: It makes me, it makes me wonder though, why Fedora is even on there that that's, that's kind of bleeding edge to be on a web server.
0: Fedora. Yeah. But I suppose as yeah. uh, as well, SUSE is, is, uh, is good. But, uh, I, I, of course there's a reason it's only at what, ten nine 9% or something. So, uh, no less than that, two point two percent. Okay, so in the top five, you, you get down to two point two percent. So it just really just goes to show you how top heavy the list is.
1: Right. All right,
0: and uh, we seem to have lost Anthony. Well, I'll try to get him back while we're having this conversation. I'm still here. Wait, there he is. Okay, you just went really quiet on us.
3: It's just kind of a ninja like that, move in and out.
0: <laughs> um. And then the flavor of the week, what's that one, Seth? Um, distrorank.com. Well,
1: yes. Uh, you can, apparently, it's done via a survey. You go on and you fill out the survey of which, which uh, Linux or they have a separate one for BSD you like the best. And they change like every week they put out the rankings. And so, uh, again, the top five, and it's really, you know, Ubuntu is number one mint is number two and their red hat is number three i was surprised arch was all the way up at four and i can see debian being number five uh and of course you know they ranked the top 20 with some that you know you haven't heard much of but
0: see these again this has to be a small sample size right uh, to art for arch to even make the list i mean really arch um no no real humans use arch arch is for robots
1: um, right. Well, and here's here's the specific factors. Number of several search engine results. So um, apparently a lot of people are searching for Arch. Number of news articles about the distro. Percentage Percentage of servers reported running the distro. And percentage of desktop users reported running the distro.
0: And of course, there's lots of articles about Arch, all with the same question. How the heck does this thing work? So that's right. why it got up
1: there. <laughs> right. And of course, you know, we're talking about Arch, so we're giving it even more street right. cred. Uh.
0: So, so if you don't know, um, and there's no reason you would know, right? Arch is a, a unique distro that doesn't have releases. It's just one giant rolling release. So every time there's an update nightly, more than nightly, you know, a couple of times a day, whatever, they push out a release, your system gets it, and you go. So there is no Arch version number. There's, you're not, there's no Arch 10 or Arch 12 or or 9.4. It's just Arch, and whatever yeah. the Arch you have today is not the Arch you had yesterday, and is not the Arch you will have tomorrow.
1: Which so makes it's it, like the uh, Google Chrome of the Linux distribution. <laughs> <right. systems.
0: laughs> <laughs> it makes it great if you're, you know, one of those guys who really likes the bleeding edge stuff. It makes it terrible if you care about things like, oh, I don't know, stability.
2: Yeah. Because I know these, one guy who runs it. I know one person out of all the people I deal with on a day to day basis that runs Arch and it's not and he tries to run it on his primary, but he always has a secondary machine as a just in case type system. How how
0: maddening that must be to, you know, have a working system, then an update happens that you didn't know about, that you didn't ask for, and now it doesn't work. And and tomorrow it may work again. But today, it doesn't. Um, So, hats off to Arch users. You're the brave new world out there.
1: Well, see, and if they put up with all of that, they deserve to be in the top five. (laughs) So, it's like, okay, we'll give you some love, guys. (laughs) Number four.
0: Oh, here's an interesting uh, article. Is your version of Linux obsolete? Now this this is a personal pet peeve of mine the word obsolescence but we'll uh we'll approach that in a little bit uh, a little bit but uh uh Chrome has um stopped declaring <laughs> Linux versions obsolete which means that they must have at some point
1: Yes um Chrome would look at the uh, GTK installed and based on what gtk was being used it would determine if your system was obsolete and therefore no longer be supported in the uh future releases and so it won't call them obsolete anymore but it still will not work um once you get past a certain thing and so even if you have the current release of something say red hat because red hat is based on an older um like C or something like that, it won't update and you're stuck at, you know, whatever version of Chrome. You know, like for example, yesterday was twenty five, today is version eight hundred and ninety-seven. You know, you're <laughs> stuck at twenty-five until uh, Red Hat updates their base stuff.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it stopped working. It just they stopped sending you updates because you're right. obsolete. Now, here's my mini rant about obsolescence um very 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 few computers that have ever been built can literally be considered obsolete an obsolete computer is one that uh, an obsolete system be a computer or anything else is one that no longer forms the function for which it was designed okay my refrigerator is 15 years old it's not obsolete still keeps my food cold uh my car is seven years old not obsolete still gets me where i want to go my computer is six months old. It's obsolete. No, it's not. It still does exactly what it was designed to do. Uh, now, there does come a point, like, for example, your 386 is obsolete. It can no longer do what it was designed to do because there's just not software or operating systems uh, that function in the modern world. I tried it recently.
1: Because Linux yeah. dropped it from their kernel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried recently, um, uh, well, not terribly recently, a couple of years ago, to get on a machine With a Pentium uh, 100 uh, running Windows 95 and IE4, that's obsolete. You literally cannot function in that system. Uh, You can't open any of the latest versions of any of the Office documents uh, from anybody. Um, You can't read modern PDFs. You can't. You can't even get on the web. Just not doable. So that I would consider obsolete. But look how far I had to go back to get obsolete. I had to go back 20 years. To actually get something that's obsolete, but uh, in the computer world, we throw in that you know my phone, your, your phone's seven days old. It's now obsolete. You got to get a new one. No, it's not. It's fine. It still does the job.
1: Right. Well, and that's the the message that Google used to display uh, is quoted. Google Chrome is no longer updating because your operating system is obsolete, and now it's saying um, basically we don't update because your your thing's old. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, it said, now it says Google Chrome has stopped updating and no longer supports this version of your operating system. So they just basically set it nicer. Um,
0: yeah, so they're still snobs. They're just right. being less rude about it.
1: Yeah. Right. Mm, go figure.
0: <laughs> Doudle in the chat room in, in Jeff Foxworthy styles. If your computer runs an OS loaded from reel-to-reel tape, it might be obsolete. <laughs> right.
1: Or Arch. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. That hurt me from here.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, you could have loaded it from real to real tape and it updated all the time. So, I don't know. Yeah?
0: And it's not often we talk about political figures here. Uh, because generally the world of politics and the world of tech uh, don't coincide that often. But uh, Barack Obama stepped up and uh, stuck his finger in the wind and decided it was politically expedient to say that the U.S. patent system needs reform. I filed that under the category of,
1: duh. Uh. (laughs) Duh. Right. Yeah, I just... uh Quoting from the article, uh, President Barack Obama, in an unusual foray into patent law on Thursday, said U.S. patent reform needs to go further and address the trend of companies that do not manufacture any products aggressively suing other companies for patent infringement.
0: As they're known on the web, patent trolls. Right. Uh, What do you do for a living? I sue people. That's that's what a patent troll does. They don't create anything. They don't defend anything. They don't market anything. They just sue people. There's a current um, patent troll that's making some headway tr- uh, saying that it owns the patent on podcasting. That it owns a patent on uh, episodic, uh, remotely deliverable media. Therefore, Jesus. it owns podcasting. It is suing people. It sued uh, some of the big boys. Revision 3, uh, Discovery.com. Uh, and a couple of them have just decided to settle because it's just easier. Uh, but a couple of them have decided to fight and it'll be interesting to see what happens there um, because that you could there's it's the way you defend a patent is you often refer to what's called uh, either prior art. has somebody else been doing it? before you file the patent, or what's called obvious. A patent has to be on something that's non-obvious. So if an expert in the field had not thought of that before, or it would not be obvious to an expert in the field, then it's patentable. Otherwise, it's considered just a regular idea. For example, um, the idea of putting some sort of covering on your feet before you walk out in the snow cannot be patented, because it's an obvious thing. Everybody for centuries has figured, you know, maybe we should put something on our feet before we walk in the snow. Um, and so that's where some of these patent things fall apart. And I, I think that this one probably can't stand up because the idea of putting something somewhere to be delivered episodically um, has has got to be considered obvious. Hello, television. Hello, right. radio. Yeah.
1: Well, and I remember um, when Oracle was suing Google over some JavaScript thing, they were claiming that this, and I don't remember the exact technical term, but the thing that they were doing was what they were patenting. And the judge said, I learned how to do that last night. You know, get out of (laughs) here. And uh, they learned, they, they, uh, you know, and that was pretty much the end of their case. So uh, it was kind of funny. And uh, I wish I could remember what it was at the time.
3: Now, are you guys aware of the patent law changes coming next month? No. It's going from uh, first. Uh, it's going from first to market to first to file. So you don't actually have to have a prototype product. You just have to have a blueprint of the product that you want to patent. So theoretically, you can come up with any idea and submit a blueprint for it and receive a patent.
0: Right. Pri- prior to this time, you had to have at least some sort of working model. Uh, but that's on. That's a different kind of thing because uh, there's like a software patent for example uh, you, they, it can be just a description like Correct. you know uh, a method for delivery of remotely hosted content on an episodic manner That is that can be a patent um, and that's stupid and everybody knows that's stupid but believe it or not it's the law of the land it's dumb <laughs> <laughs> And uh, just to make you feel safer about being on Facebook, Facebook got hacked. Not you, necessarily, but Facebook themselves, kind of, sort of.
1: Yes, uh, Facebook engineers, who, and of course they claim that, you know, company, that user data was never compromised, but several of its engineers were hacked using a zero day Java attack with a collection of previously unseen malware and what it was is what is called a watering hole attack vector. So it's not like somebody targeted them and said, Hey, this is your boss. Send me your latest code update. It's, um, some remote popular web server was hacked and malicious code was injected into it. And when you visited that web server, it got on your machine. Uh, and again, it kind of doesn't really matter the OS because it was Java. Um, so, you know, um, doesn't matter how secure your OS is if the if the applications you run leak like a sieve
0: Java is digital bacon everybody loves it but it will kill you yes yep <laughs> um, yeah, just don't do Java just don't just stop people who are writing Java apps stop
1: please you
0: do us all a favor stop
1: right and again just I'm sure most people know this Java and JavaScript are two separate things. Yes. So, uh, you know, if you hear somebody say JavaScript, don't go off on them saying element OP said to stop using Java, you know, JavaScript is different and it is more secure because it's more limited in nature.
0: Uh, and, and by the way, just while we're on that subject, I frequently get, uh, comments of, of one kind or another, uh, that talks about the fact that some of the articles that we, um, might reference are out of date or wrong or, or that sort of thing. And, and the question that is often asked is, don't you guys do any research? And I'm just going to go on record again. I've said it before. I'll say, no. We find an interesting article. We talk about it. If they're wrong, we're wrong. Okay? Just accept that. This isn't hard-hitting journalism. We're not journalists. We're pundits. That means we can talk about stuff without actually having any responsibility. It's a beautiful place to be frankly
1: yeah yeah it works great (laughs) and part of the reason it's old is because the show's recorded three days before it's broadcast and we have to look up the news before then so you know sometimes it's almost a week old by the time it comes on the show
0: and if you're cnn a week old news is what you call frontline headline current
1: breaking it's
2: current
0: (laughs) so uh just by the way i'm considering uh uh planning an element Opie carnival cruise uh who who wants to join me um i think it'll be great they're uh they're very discounted these days um uh free free colostomy bags will be handed out uh, upon boarding
1: yeah i i would i would pack a duffel bag of emergency rations and water
0: <laughs> if you don't know what i'm talking about just google carnival cruise and and you will know those but the right
3: side of that cruise is they gave everybody free beer and wine during that time period, right. or so CNN said.
0: And they also gave them, you know, a free cruise, <laughs> like they're ever going to get <laughs> back on a ship again.
1: Right. But, you know, I would, because I think the next Carnival cruise that sells… It's going to be amazing, <laughs> will, right? Will be the, <laughs> it will be the safest boat in the history of right. uh, sailing. It's like the you place so you they, wanted they to be… another one.
0: The place you wanted to be in the early nineteen hundreds is on the first White Star Line after the Titanic. That right. was the best cruise
1: ever. <laughs> I bet, yeah. So anyway, if you, you it,
0: just, a, just a quick recap, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you if you live under a rock, uh there was a carnival cruise ship that had a, a fire in the engine room. Didn't hurt anybody, fire was put out, not a big deal, but it knocked out the engines. The engines produce electricity and and powered the ship so among the many systems that didn't work were the water purification systems and the toilets uh and they couldn't go anywhere so they were literally drifting away in the ocean with no toilets and no ability to make fresh water add several several thousand people to that mix and bad things happen
1: you know, I saw there was a picture that went on Facebook. You remember the one, the cruise ship from Italy that ran aground? Yes. And it was on its side. There was a picture of it on its side, and the caption underneath it said, "Oh, so I hear Carnival had a bad cruise. How funny!" Yeah. It,
0: yeah. Nobody. Nobody was was hurt in this one. Like I think fifty people died in that one that you're talking right. about. Right. So, uh, something uh near and dear to the heart of our command line Godfather, steam. Had a blowout sale for Linux users.
2: Yeah, it was actually quite a big sale. Um, a lot of the different progr- uh, a lot of the different games had you know huge markdowns, um, up to seventy five percent on some of them. Um, that's in, you know 60 percent on others. Uh, and some of them are older games, you know, uh, but there are a few that are current, um, such as like you know those World games are obsolete, Chris.
0: You can't enjoy them; uh, anymore. they're obsolete. <laughs> Sorry.
2: But, you know, um, there, there's been a bunch of them, and you, there are a lot of games that most people probably wouldn't have played, or if they had played, they played them way back, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but I know a couple of them that are my favorites, and I play them. I still play them even today, are like World of Goo and Uplink. Uh, let's see. Where's another one? World uh, of Goo is an awesome game. Out.
0: What? World of Goo is an awesome game.
2: I love World of Goo. Um and my kids love World of Goose, so the fact that I can get it for two dollars and fifty cents is an awesome buy.
0: All right, anything else about that one? We're just happy um, it's over now, right? So we're just rubbing it in for people who didn't get to take advantage of it.
2: Um, as of recording, it's still active. Um, as of the our recording day, the the everything is still on sale, um, and I would definitely recommend picking up a couple of them because they're going to go back up to you know, 20 bucks or so, but they're fun. They're great, uh, support Linux. And if you see me on the, uh, Team Fortress 2, I use the same handle that I use in the IRC room. So, uh, yeah, come shoot me in the face in, in Team Fortress 2 and have fun.
0: I forget the game. It wasn't Halo. It was, but it was some game, a, a multiplayer online game like that, where I made my, uh, my handle target drone. It just seemed easier that way. <laughs>
1: My uh, Xbox, well, Xbox Live account was expendable. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Teabag me. You know, just call it, just get it over with. Um, I'm going to file this next story in the category of who cares, uh, but HP may or may not, depending on who you believe, be dumping webOS and even Windows RT and will release a tablet running Android. Maybe, kind of. We're not sure.
1: Well, they never, uh, released, um, windows RT. Um, right. But that
0: was, they were, they had a, they announced a big partnership way back with windows with Microsoft rather.
1: Yeah. But they looked at, uh, windows eight and said, man, this is a piece of garbage. Nobody's going to buy it. And we've already killed off our web OS. So what's left? Oh, Hey, Android, maybe we can kill off the Android product line (laughs) as well. So, uh, I think maybe Mac put them up to this. You know, Apple said, hey, HP, we'll give you some money if you will start loading Android because you're good at killing OSs. Right. Uh, so
0: they, yeah. they 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 bet the company on WebOS for roughly a week uh, <laughs> and then decided, all right, we're going to be Windows 8 tablets or Windows RT. That's where we're going to go. Uh, and so the, the, hybr- the uh, NVX2 tablet slash Ultrabook... Was what they were going to bet their company on until uh, Intel took a little too long to come out with the Clover Trail pop processors. So now they've they've got I'm, the way I'm picturing it is they've got all these chassis. they've got cases, they've got screens, they've got you know USB uh, uh, ports, they've got all these stuff, and they got nothing to put in. They got no processor, so they're right. going to switch back to the the ARM processor that they were going to use for WebOS, slip Android on it, and call it good. Um, But the question is, will anybody care?
1: Probably not at this point. But will people buy it? Probably. Somebody will buy it. Sure. Because HP is the largest PC, not the largest hardware manufacturer, but they're the largest PC maker. uh, At least last stats I saw said. So, you know, if you're an HP shop, here's a way for you to get tablets in, you know, through the same vendor.
0: And uh, an update on a previous story that I called BS on at the time: Microsoft yes. is apparently not bringing Office to Linux. Surprise, surprise.
2: Jeez, right? Is anybody
1: really surprised?
0: Just no. the reporters who reported the story initially.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't. I just figured, you know, we we talked about it, and then we kind of talked about some of the why or why not behind it, but they've they've denied the rumor that it was ever going to happen to begin with now. so
0: Yeah, ZD did not, ZDNet.com introduces the article in this way. There's a story going around that Microsoft might be porting Office to Linux. If you believe this story, I have a wonderful, lightly used bridge in Brooklyn. I'd like to sell you for a mil, mere million dollars cash. Um, <laughs> no, nice. Nobody who knew anything believed that was going to happen. But right.
1: that doesn't stop
0: Ars Technica and others from from uh, reporting on it and Everyday Linux,
1: right? (laughs) That's that's what we do. We talk about stuff.
0: We reported on it, and then I called it BS.
2: Um, Yeah, I think everybody called it BS. Yeah,
0: and so uh, we also talked about UEFI. That's been a a hot uh, debate. Um, And Samsung uh, produced a laptop that if you didn't boot Windows on it. It would brick it. Well, it turns out it bricks it even if you do boot Windows on it. Nicely done, Samsung. Well played.
1: Right. So, yeah, just the bug turned out to be UEFI and not Linux done wrong. So I just wanted to mention that. So
0: It says, uh, you know, even when running Windows can brick some uh, Samsung machines. Uh, Basically, we've talked about this before. Samsung was not only stupid, but colossally stupid in the way they implemented UEFI. UEFI. UEFI isn't broken. Linux isn't broken. Windows isn't broken. Samsung's engineers were on a three-day bender when they coded this chip, is what happened.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> or something. Maybe they had one too many hits off of the, uh, <laughs> the old bourbon bottle, too. Right.
0: I, I think technically what I just said is considered libel, but... We're going to move right on and hope nobody notices that. Uh,
1: well, we did the air quotes for Bender. So it there we go. Anything.
0: Allegedly. As long as you throw the word allegedly in, you can say anything you want to yes. say.
1: Sure, that uh, yeah. works for me. Or you can say, I'm not saying they spent all week hyped up on meth and bourbon. I'm not saying yeah. it, but.
0: Yes, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Uh, okay, let's. that's enough for news. Uh, a relatively short uh, version of that for us, only 30 minutes. Um, and let's uh, not keep uh, uh, Anthony, Andrew, Alex, uh, Alicia, whatever your name is, uh, waiting in the corner. No, I do know your name, Anthony, honestly. I have it written down right there on my screen. Uh, waiting any longer. <laughs> Tell us about the Linux Academy. Uh, first, just give us the 35,000-foot uh, overview, and then we'll dig into the specifics of it.
3: Sure, sure. Uh, Well, the Linux Academy uh, started well a year ago, last March, and what 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 I aimed to do at the time of creating it was just create or reduce the barrier of entry for new people into Linux, and more specifically, actually, Linux servers. Um, You know, thanks to uh, a lot of advancements in the desktop, booting into Linux desktop is really easy. There's a lot of GUI interface, and my goal was to take them to uh, Linux servers in the command line and really kind of the background of whether it's just hosting a simple web server or uh, digging into scripting on the command line, using VI on the command line, and, and just kind of an overview, uh, and, but an in-depth overview from somebody who's never used Linux but is very interested. And if you look at cloud computing, uh, which has come a long way, but really nowadays anybody can go fire up and host their own server or website on their server. And a lot of people have an interest in it. Uh, but I also think that just knowing Linux in itself, uh, just because, or at least the command line core part of Linux, uh, really kind of gives you a better overview and understanding about technology in itself, whether you're software. R- really? Developer. Who
0: cares about the command line? Come on. In in this modern age, the command line is obsolete, isn't it?
1: Well, when Chris you said VI, Chris's heart went pitter-patter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but why not well, Emacs? I'm
2: a Vim guy. No, no Vi for me. Vim.
0: Why not Emacs? Come on. Let's show some love for Emacs. No, of course I'm just I'm kidding there. But uh, that leads to the question: Is this? Are you a one man show? Are you doing all of this, or do you have a team of people? Uh, what makes up the Linux Academy?
3: Well, I started as a one man show, but to be honest, still, I mean, you know, I've been doing Linux for ten years. But there's still only so much that a one man can do. Uh, there's only so much content you can put out there. But there's only so much knowledge that one person can bring to uh, to the well. the courses. And so I've actually recently brought on uh, another person who is, uh, he's a team lead in a Linux enterprise environment. He has 20 years of experience and he's going to start doing or has started doing uh, more advanced level courses uh, for the Linux Academy. So the Linux Academy really starts out off as just assuming you know nothing um, when you log in you can actually it actually comes with a server that you can all the, whenever you watch a lesson you fire up your server whether you're looking at uh, working on a red Hat distribution we have on there or Debian or Ubuntu uh, and you go through the lesson the lesson also kind of details the differences. so to answer your question more than one person now All right that was a long answer
0: And so what sort of stuff can I expect to find if I go to Linux Academy? Com.
3: Well, are you talking about inside a Linux Academy or just the website?
0: Um, which however you want to answer that.
3: <laughs> well, inside <laughs> of the Linux Academy, it really started off on, I, I went to the Linux Professional Institute website and I looked at their qualifications, their kind of course track for getting uh, LPI certified. And that's where the courses started off from. And then they've kind of gone in different directions, but there's still that track. And it starts off from that very beginning, uh, whether it's just looking at basic lessons. I mean, we have lessons on there that just understanding the basics of the command line or just understanding Etsy folders and file systems inside of Linux. Uh, and now we've pushed out courses that focus on uh, r- regular expressions and Apache. And we have uh, Nginx and Samba coming out there. Uh, and I don't actually have the course list uh, in front of me. I can pull it up, but there's a lot of different items in there. Uh, So that's what you can expect to find in there. It's just kind of the, it starts from the very basics and it goes step by step. You know, the courses are designed to take you, uh, you know, they're in 10 to 15 minute increments. Some of them are a little bit longer, but they focus on a single concept to get you from one point to the other point.
0: And roughly how many courses are there?
3: Right now there's 100. There's 20 right now. There's 20 lessons waiting to be pushed out. Uh, If you're inside the Linux Academy, there's an upcoming courses uh, coming out there and there's, ready for him to be pushed out on there. And again, bringing on the new guy, I'm hoping to bring out some, uh, well, he's much more experienced than I am, so I guess I'm not, techni- not sure he's technically classified as new, but new to the Linux Academy to bring out uh, a lot more in the near future.
1: Hmm.
0: Guys, any other questions? I don't want to monopolize the whole thing.
1: Well, uh, I'll uh, jump in. I was When I was looking through the course list, I saw that you were you had a course in there on the MySQL. Any plans on expanding or dropping that because some of the changes, some of the Linux distros are starting to switch away from MySQL? Absolutely. And
3: where I'm deriving that course from is the fact that in our environment, uh, currently in my professional career outside, you know, Linux Academy is not my full-time job, um, but inside of our professional environment, we're actually setting up some clusters for MariaDB. And... We're, you know, I'm going to derive a lot of that information based off of our experiences and our tests and our uh, high performance and high load environment uh, and try to take those and apply those to the courses. So give
0: awesome. me an idea. Uh, I'm sure there are samples on your website. If I were you know, a, a reasonable uh, uh, host and had done any homework, I would know this. But uh, let's say I go to your website. Is there going to be a sample lesson that I can view?
3: There is a sample lesson. Uh, I'm working on putting more out there. But uh, underneath the new course available, there's watch a lesson. And it's just one of the lessons that are out there uh, that you can watch. It's just a demo. I also have on the YouTube channel, the Pinehead TV YouTube channel, I push out a lot of the free stuff on there. There, uh, Sometime in the future, I'm trying to work into the Linux Academy of free tier, uh, t- where it's even easier for people to get started. Uh, but again, the primary focus right now is really kind of working on the content and the lessons and having a complete uh, course structure and overview of Linux.
0: And so give me an idea. You know, this is obviously it's an audio podcast. So uh, give me an idea uh, what these lessons look like. So I've clicked on, I've, I, I'm I'm watching a lesson. What am I seeing?
3: So the lessons are meant to be hands-on. And so in order to be a hands-on lesson, you have to be able to do the same thing in a real server environment or a real Linux environment that I'm doing online. Uh, Now, a lot of people are already running Linux on their laptops or maybe have a virtual environment structure, but maybe some people don't and uh, they're a little intimidated by it. So the lessons themselves actually use the Linux Academy lab server that you have access to while you're in there and you fire up your server and you log in and the lessons walk through on the command line step by step. There's a lot of talking. Uh, but there's a lot of demonstration and examples. Everything I'm doing or the other instructors doing, you're also performing on your desktop or your server through the terminal that you're using.
0: So, so you actually give me you actually give me terminal access to your server. Right. The real cool thing about it
3: uh, is the fact that you can go in. There's eight different distributions right now, uh, and you'll laugh at this. I had somebody request Arch Linux dis- server distribution. And it's <laughs> well, of course, people would
0: want it. training on Arch Linux. Yes, not unreasonable at all. No one
2: knows what to do with it anyway. Well, and <laughs> it is one of the top it. five. <laughs>
0: All right, go ahead. We'll stop interrupting that.
3: <laughs> no, you guys are perfectly fine. I don't provide lessons on Arch. Somebody just said just requested that. Uh, you know, it's a lab environment. If you want to be able to play and test on your server that's on there, I, I encourage that. If you want to go in there and delete half of your root directories, uh a, click and a button, your server's deleted, and you can rebuild from a new distribution. So you can go from working on an Ubuntu or Debian-based system uh, to learning package management or file or networking structure on a CentOS or Red Hat-based distribution distribution. distribution uh to kind of really visualize the difference that come between the two
0: and you're doing Uh, that by way of vms how are you handling that on your end virtual machines yes okay uh which one
2: Yeah, what i was just going to ask that mark i was going to ask are you using uh kvm or virtual machine or vmware what's the the
3: base uh, what's the amazon web services ec2
0: Oh, okay. So you're using okay. their VM infrastructure. Nice.
3: Yes. Uh, I, I came from my Which makes it bleeding format. fast, right? What's that?
0: It makes it super fast, right?
3: I mean, you can delete a server and fire a new one up within 20 to 30 seconds. So if you totally screw something up while you're learning and you just want to start over, all you have to do is click delete server and fire it up and it builds it. Uh, it provides you with an IP address. And you can log into your server, and you have your credentials on there, and that server's for you to do whatever you want with.
0: Now, is there any GUI love for our friend, the the GUI kid? Or is it all command line?
3: Not yet, um, not yet. I would love to get there, uh, but the focus of it has been, if you go to linuxacademy.com, you see that it says learn to run Linux servers. So the focus is to try to get the entire overview of Linux servers. When you say that, you know, there's a lot of Linux command line that's not just Linux servers, you can understand the entire depth of Linux, the file structures, uh, log management, uh, partition management, all that stuff along with it, but there's not GUI love there yet.
1: Yeah, always keeping the GUI down. You,
3: we could always use another instructor if you want to uh provide some courses.
1: Okay.
0: Well let's um <laughs> let's go ahead. I'm gonna <laughs> skip right over that. Uh we do we do courses every week here on the element <laughs> open network. Yeah, that's it. Um, commentary at least. So you're using Amazon S C three or SC two, which did you say? EC two. EC two, okay so yes. you're paying for that. Yes. Um, you're not a wealthy benefactor. Therefore, I got to pay you. So let's talk about that a little bit. What does it cost to join the Linux Academy? Do I buy a lesson? Do I buy a month? Do I buy a year? How does that work?
3: So I'll tell you what it costs, what you get and why. Uh, so right now it's $15 a month if you sign up monthly. If you sign up quarterly, it's $30 a month. And the reason for that is that wait, wait, there's wait, different price wait,
0: models. Wait, wait, back up. You said if you sign up quarterly, it's thirty dollars a month. That's not what you meant to say.
3: Yeah. No, thirty dollars quarterly, ten dollars a month. Okay, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. <laughs> if you, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there Sorry. for a second. No, that's all right. Um, it, it, the reason for that is it's a real simple pricing structure. It allows for covering the server costs. It allows covering the storage costs, the bandwidth costs, and the videos. Uh, store all of that stuff on there. Uh, but it also allows you to be able to have your lab server and covers that cost in there. So any additional extra money that comes from it is actually being paid out for either uh, – Additional courses and lessons or posts on pinehead.tv. So the goal is to try to reinvest everything back into the knowledge source and provide everybody to kind of a good central, uh, good central area you can follow to learn Linux step by step. But as long as you know, pinehead.tv, uh, sorry, I don't mean to do another plug there, but that's, uh, was, is kind of originally where Linux Academy came from is just a how-to site and tutorials. Uh, and so it's all kind of re-put back into there. Uh, don't make, much of a mistake. There's not a lot to be reinvested. Um, So it's not like it's making loads of money.
0: Well, let's talk about that. What is your goal? Are you a for-profit enterprise?
3: Well, the goal is to, honestly, I can't answer that. Uh, Would it be fantastic to be able to teach? Uh, I always wanted to be a teacher, which is kind of where Pinehead came from. Uh, Pinehead TV is for screencasts. I did jQuery mobile screencasts, Linux screencasts. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and so that's really kind of where it came from. Would it be fantastic to be able to quit my day job and do Linux Academy and teach? Yes. Will it ever get there? I, you know, I don't know. Right now, I, Singularity. I'm not, I'm not a guy that knows everything about Linux. There's, there's so much to know. I mean, just talking to you guys, I'm sure there's so much more than you know from me. So uh, my users and, and anybody who uses Linux Academy, everyone goes to Pinehead will benefit, m- benefit more, uh, from any extra money taken to be able to kind of go and, and find those 20 year guys to be able to write some of those tutorials and, and create some of those lessons and, and create, uh, create a central knowledge place for people to go through there.
0: So I, I like to say about uh, you know the element Opie Enterprise we're the most poorly run for profit enterprise in the world. Uh, we're, we're our stated goal is to make money and we've never done that and don't don't ha, don't have any um, method for that on the, in the horizon. So maybe you're sort of like me in that regard.
3: V- very much so. I mean, it's not technically profitable. A lot of it is still coming out of pocket, uh, but you know. There's, there's goals to be had. And it's just something where I, I, I just absolutely enjoy doing it. You know, I'm fortunate to have a, a wife who's very understanding and, and she knows that I, I love teaching. I love helping, uh, you know, Linux Academy. If you have questions, I actually will even set up one-on-one time for you. If you need help, uh, understanding a concept, we can talk one-on-one. Um, of course, that's kind of limited. There's 30 minutes a month if, uh, as part of the primary count or else, you know, my time would just be totally eaten alive. Um, and I just love doing it.
2: So are you going to eventually try to become maybe a, a, a giver out of a certificate? You know, try to become a, a valid, you know, you can try to get, become a validation of, of Linux teachings or are you just going to be there as the, you know, because there's other sites that do this. I'm just wondering how you're going to yes. branch yourself out outside of those other sites.
3: So there's there's a few different, it's kind of baby steps at this point. Um, And, you know, like I said, my main goal was to reduce the barrier of entry for somebody who wants to uh, learn to run Linux servers or whether they want to do it for a career. I had somebody sign up and follow the certification track uh, and work closely with him on that to go from point A to point B. Uh, it, is it somewhere where I think it's ready for that? No. Would it be great for that to happen eventually? I, it would be great. Um, I think more of what I like to build around it is a, uh, is more kind of a, a community where uh, I would like to add quizzes. Uh, I would like to uh, everybody have a profile to kind of show how you did on your quizzes, the courses you completed, the amount of time you've spent, Uh, And those types of items. Um, So, really, it's kind of more for the amateur aspiring person versus the actual certification track that a company might pay for you to go to. Uh, But but then again, the price is also completely different for those two as well.
0: All right. So, I sign up for a quarter uh, and I pay... Uh, thirty bucks, which is basically buy two get one free, right? So the, um, the monthly is is fifteen dollars. So I get three months for for thirty dollars. Um, I sign up there. So what what do I get for thirty? Is it all you can eat? I can watch as many as I want, as long as I want for three months. Is it metered? Ha- what happens there once I've paid for that?
3: It's all you can eat. Uh, the only the only I'll say the only catch about it is that the server itself uh is really only you can use it while you're inside of the linux academy let's say are you let's say you're watching videos for 10 hours a day and you're using the linux academy 10 hours a day can you use your server 10 hours a day yes can you use your server 24 hours a day and go home and sleep and have stuff running on it uh no it's really meant to be a prototyping lab environment it's a real server uh but at the same time is it There's a lot of management that comes with that. And again, a lot of costs that come with that. Uh, but in order to prevent uh, people from using it improperly, such as spammers signing up or hosting inappropriate content, um, without having to go through and look through all of the content people is on there. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, you log out, your server has a timeout of about an hour. So that's really the only catch. You can watch whatever videos you want on there. You have unlimited access. It's really up to uh, the guys, instructors, me and the other instructor at the Linux Academy to, continue adding content. As soon as it's not valuable for you, uh, you I mean, if you can watch all of the courses in three days, watch all the courses in three days and and there you go. And uh,
0: what's the average length of a course?
3: The average length of the course is actually 15 to 25 minutes. Uh, I like to keep it a little bit more modular to keep individual concepts. I found for me, a lot of times I need to go back and just understand one concept. And I've really, I've kind of built in a way for it to be a reference. Uh, there's search features and other items to really kind of make it a reference. So if you wanna go back and reference to learn how to do a specific item, whether it's using the FSTAB directory or uh, learning how to use log rotate over again, uh, are you gonna to wanna to dig through an hour long course and try to find out where it is? Or are you gonna to wanna to try to find a specific section that's relevant to you? So the average is between 15 to 25 minutes.
0: So at this point, you have roughly 30 hours of content on the website. Yes. Hmm. I can does math. (laughs) Uh, So what else is there? I've got videos. Is there uh, there a forum? Is there a way for those of us who are all on this learning path together to communicate with one another? Uh, Or is it just videos?
3: So I actually have in development a question and answer section uh, so my development features are my development aspirations for the site are extremely large, uh, and what I'm focused on really kind of has to do with what is more immediate value to the members of the site and that's, uh, and that's kind of uh, content and other items but. What's on there currently is our study references, PDF course sheets. If you're wanting to work on your LPI level one certification, you can download those. If you're wanting cheat sheets for VI, uh, those are on there. Uh, so that's the other content that's available. And again, like I said, I would love to add that, or it's not that I would love to, that's actually in development, the Q&A section for it. Uh, but also at the same time, I'm working on a profile and quiz section as well. So it's really, uh, which should I focus most time on? outside of doing the uh, instructional lessons.
0: Okay. So tell us, I've never heard of Pinehead TV. Obviously, there's some sort of partnership going there. What is that and how are you related to them?
3: Um, well, I am Pinehead.TV.
0: Well, there, that explains it. So,
3: <laughs> so I, I say I am. I'm really, I, you know, I started it. And it's kind of grown to about four writers. So I'm not really pinehead.tv anymore. Those other four writers are the people that really keep it going and they do a fantastic job. Uh, and so what pinehead.tv is, is it's more of a uh, individual based how to. Uh, So if you're looking for, it's it's more fractional, it's more modular versus the Linux Academy step by step. If you start on one lesson and you follow lesson A to Z, you're going to learn the concepts in order from the order, which technically you should, uh, or might, I say technically, uh, which uh, probably, I don't know how to word that. Let's see here, which is probably the better way of learning things. Whereas Linux Academy or Pinehead is just a how-to site. Um, there's a lot of development how-tos on there as well, uh, as long, uh, like working with Amazon EC2, uh, working with Windows Azure, and other items like that. So if it, it's more of an individual-based article. We'll cover a specific topic versus step-by-step lessons and courses. And we talk okay. about space.
0: Space. Nice. <laughs> because as long as you've got geeks as an audience, you might as well throw a spaceship in there.
3: I've always wanted to do something on space, and so recently uh, one of the writers approached and said, hey, can we do some space stuff? And I was all about that, so we got some space stuff now.
1: Awesome.
0: Now, are you also monetizing your site with with advertising while I'm there, while I'm doing your tutorial? Am I going to be seeing text ads or pop-up ads too?
3: No, not at all. Uh, You you pay once and everything else there is completely clean. There's no ads. There's no introductions to the videos. You start, you get rolling. There's no other annoyances on there.
0: Uh, Wow. is um, Is there a way that I can download the lessons or do I have to be interactively at your site to watch them?
3: So that's kind of a question I haven't been able to answer yet. Um, I, I've, t- I've thought about making them downloadable. Uh, there hasn't been a request for it because so far, all of the users that have used it have actually used it along with their server. So they're watching and they're pausing while they're logged in using their server. So the only time your server is active is while you're logged onto the site. So there's not much encouragement to, I'm not saying it's you can't, I'm just saying there wasn't much encouragement just by design on downloading the actual courses Uh, what i think we're going to do is make it downloadable uh, make some dvds that are available and it it really just kind of depends on if there's a real demand uh, for the courses to be downloadable and i say that because again as a one guy development shop i coded the site from scratch i've still got to do lessons and branch out what's really going to bring the most value to the most users at
1: one time
0: you know, I ask that because our own GUI kid, his bandwidth is not measured in megabits, but in kilobits. Uh, so, you know, that's <laughs> yes. that's a real issue.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, like the other night, I spent two and a half hours trying to get online and I was able to get half of one web page to load versus earlier today. I could get on and watch in near real time YouTube videos. So uh, it, I am I don't have. I don't have the fastest connection to the party. Uh, and so something like that would be a real, it would be a bottle. it would be hard for me to, you know, buy the course and then get on there. I got to queue the course and then hopefully my connection is strong enough for me to terminal into the server or something like that. So, you know, not everybody lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and has 10 gig to their house like, uh, like, uh, Mark over there.
3: Did I mention that uh, I'm located inside the Google Fiber areas?
1: Oh, now we I, hate you. I hate you even more. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Oh, you. But you're, I, I, you've, you've now just been dubbed the the most hated person on the show right now.
3: Well, let me clarify. I'm five mi- I'm five miles out from a Google Fiber neighborhood, but because of Google Fiber, uh, our competing uh, other telecom areas are are scrambling to ump up data, so they're just throwing bandwidth at us right now. So uh, to answer your question, uh, so what would be more beneficial to be able to log in and download a course or to be able to just request a DVD be sent to you as part of your monthly subscription?
1: Well, either one, I mean, whichever way, because like one of the things I do, like when I'm going to do a, a new Linux distro on a test machine, I'll start a torrent of it, you know, and then, uh, I'll just start that torrent and I'll leave my computer on overnight and sometimes over the weekend, but eventually the torrent gets there and I can use it. Um, so either one of those options would be good to me, you know, um, it would probably be cheaper for you. I don't know, but I would be comfortable doing either one to either download or have a DVD.
0: Here's, here's what I would, uh, suggest as a business model, from a guy you've only known 20 minutes and surely you think my advice <laughs> is valuable. I would say for people like Seth, um, instead of a monthly subscription, you have a single price, uh, 150 bucks. You send him a DVD with all the courses and a pre-configured VM so that he's got the environment he needs um, with, with with everything he can do, your whole course offline on his laptop um, in a car somewhere if he needs to. I just made that I
1: actually up. think that's a great idea. That is a great idea. Yeah, that, that would be cool because then, uh, you know, I would like that. I mean, I'm going to enroll in the course anyway, because, um, I can like, I, I have other places I like I do this podcast from my church. So, uh, I go up and like, I'm kind of one of the people that helps with the church's network and stuff. So they let me come in and do stuff like this. So yeah, I can bring my laptop or, go to McDonald's or whatever and do something like that. So,
0: And then people like that, you know, your content, their content is going to get stale because they're offline. Uh, every six months they pay another $40 and get all the content you put up in the last six months into them, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that,
2: that would actually improve your business model a lot. The other thing that would also help is maybe um, if you had somebody like – I'm kind of a a low end of speed when it comes to the the more populated areas in the world. Um, But for me, if I'm watching a high def video, that's about all that my household can do. Um, But I could watch it because, but having that plus a terminal session out sometimes can cause issues. So it it would be nice to even be able to do an offline course for the video and then maybe have a, 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 a rotating server that stays on for an over an hour or two hours and then dil- and kills itself and can be reissued without interaction.
3: Okay, yeah, I follow you. Yeah, so what it you would like the server to uh, I'm just trying to understand the concept be available while you're offline. So even though you have the bandwidth, it's still available via offline, not just while you're logged into the site.
2: right. Because, like for me, I'm kind of the scatterbrain type person, so I'll start something and then totally get sidetracked and have to come back to it. But if I know that on you know my network's going to drop out from underneath me and I get logged out of your system, I may not come back for an hour, but then I lost everything I did and have to redo everything through that lesson plan.
3: Well, technically, so, only the video you would, the server state itself, will actually stay the same. You'll just have to power it on. Okay. If that makes sense. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think these are great ideas. Uh, Perhaps I'll be able to follow up with you guys a little bit to work on that model a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let that be a lesson to you. Before you launch a business, come on the Everyday Linux show and (laughs) and we'll give you ideas.
3: (laughs) That's a new new, uh, slogan for you guys. Everyday Linux business advice. Yeah. There you go. From
0: people who you shouldn't be listening to. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, well, why not? I mean, aren't you guys kind of the? I mean, aren't you really the target market? I mean, I'm trying to create right. value for my customers, and there you go.
1: Yeah, because yeah, our goal is the people who aren't the you know the Linux snobs. You know, we'll we'll train you, and you can leave us and become a Linux snob. But uh...
0: <laughs> and and oh, if, I would like for all of the people who um, are socialistic and don't believe in making money, just skip ahead about 45 seconds. Because you're going to hate what I have to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anthony, I think you're not charging enough because your content is geared at people who want to make a living administering servers. You're, you're giving big them money doing it. You're giving them literally the building blocks of a career. And, uh, you know, 10 bucks a month, um, they're not going to take you seriously. They're going to see that as too cheap and therefore not valuable. Yeah. Well, I it's, it's funny thing. you mentioned that. I know.
2: It, I know I know people that have taken you know stuff from Linux, you know, that, that have a Linux administration ability and are making ten times what I'm making in my school district because they have Linux knowledge that well. Um, I also know a few other people that have gone you know, um, I'm not gonna name names, but a friend of mine said that if any of their guys are Linux guys, they get held on to because the Linux pool of, of administrators is so small. So they get extra benefits and, and are, you know, kind of latched onto and, and don't let them out the door. So by giving people these building blocks for getting into a Linux administrative role, you're actually giving them a really broad shot at getting a really good paying job.
3: I need to use what you just said as the introduction video
2: to the Linux Academy.
3: Uh, so I... So you guys think I should charge more, even though, uh, and I'm not I'm not against it uh, because I absolutely agree with what you're saying. in my in my area as well, Linux administrators uh, are very, very highly in demand. Uh, so even though are we is that increasing the barrier of entry? Now I know there's a lot of places that provide the type of training or similar training that this provides to, which goes along the certification and career path, are usually in the thousand to two thousand dollar car. Uh, Classes per course. Uh, are we really? Are we? Would that be increasing the barrier of entry for people, or would that actually be helping them value? And if they're paying for it more, uh, really kind of help them continue learning? Because going from knowing a little bit of Linux to being queer ready isn't always just a simple task.
0: Well, that's that's well, one of those points where um, the community mindset and the the putting food on your kids' table mindset. Uh, sort of collides. Uh, I totally, I, I stand behind, I mean, everything we produce here is free content. Um, and and my my good friend over at ProfessorMesser.com, uh, same thing, everything he does, well, not everything, he he sells stuff too, but he pr- produces tons of free content. But at the same time, I think that there is more money to be made if you put together a certification program and, and maybe partner with some of these uh, testing companies that offer certifications and and jack up your price it makes you seem more legitimate um you know it, as ridiculous as that is people feel better when they shut uh, open their wallet and pay for things um
2: you know another idea that they could do is a tiered model your first tier has the basics and that's a cheap one to get in and then your second tier which is more you know level two type of work is a little bit more and level three is a little bit more so that way your barrier of entry is low for people that don't have a clue but then if you have someone who has you know like me and Mark and a little bit of Seth here we have Linux experience but maybe we don't know how to do something with EC2 that could be a tier two class and cost twice what tier one does
1: yeah it kind of are though, you right? after yeah. Are is your market you know, teaching people something about Linux and, you know, hey, you know, don't be afraid of it. Or is your market, hey, you can go, you can take this knowledge and you can become an IT expert, you know, because someone who is looking for the IT expert thing will look at this and go, you know, I don't even, I wouldn't even look at this because of, of how cheap it is. Now, or you have a cheapskate like me who would look, who would look at this because of how cheap it is. Um, and my question would be, have you heard of the site brain Bench? no i haven't um they have i haven't looked at them in a long time but they have a bunch of different courses so, you know they have some for free and some are paid in all different kinds of stuff like whether it be office or you know microsoft server or programming languages and when you you can pass their test and you can get a brainbench certification now it that doesn't you know it's not like on the market is like you know wanted somebody with a brainbench certification but if you're especially if you're going into an entry level job showing you you have this test from this site that you passed you know it could help somebody get like an entry level job um have have you you'd said something earlier but are you looking at maybe gearing up for something like that where there will be a linuxacademy.com not certificate but you know You you pass this module, you pass this module that you can download and have some type of profile on.
3: Yes, there's two things. One, the, the 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 core track of Linux Academy follows along. Um, that Linux Professional Institute certification. And right. two, since it's kind of going broad, and to answer a question that was asked a little bit ago, is it going to be professional or just for beginners? You know, everything I learned in my uh, in, in an enterprise environment and this other guy who has all this experience that we brought on uh, is going to be dumped into here. So it's really going to be not just for the casual use, and it's already not just for the casual use, but for the more in-depth knowledge and and running environments inside of clusters and and you know, I'm ready to be MySQL, but answer your question is I what I've been working on, and I'd love it, adv- I'd love feedback on this. What I've been working on is the Linux Academy profile, where what it shows is the courses you completed, the time you've spent on the site, and the time you've spent inside of a server. And uh, the one aspect I don't have done yet, but I am working on the questions for, and I still have to code it in there, are quizzes for it, where it shows. Uh, when you take a quiz for a specific track, is what I've been calling them, uh, it, it'll give it shows that core in, course on your profile. What I don't have the answer to is what if somebody retakes the quiz? Uh, do you allow people to retake it? Uh, you know, how do you prevent somebody from going in and gaming that system? Where you want your users to have the value, but when you have that profile, you also want it to have the credibility to anybody who wants to look at it as well.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily know the answer to that either.
0: So the moral to this story is go out and sign up now because we just talked him into jacking up his prices. So as (laughs) soon as you hear this, go to linuxacademy.com and sign up for a quarter, and and you'll thank us for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and I believe, Anthony, you had a discount you were going to offer our listeners?
3: I did. What I did is I set up linuxacademy.com, Uh, slash sign up slash everyday Linux. And I I did it just before the show. That's why it's a little bit long. Uh, And what that is, is it's $10 a month, not a quarter. Uh, So that's the barrier of entry for anybody who wants that lower price or for somebody new who doesn't know uh, is in there. And you're probably right. I probably am going to go jack up the prices a little bit now since we're adding on the the content. And you guys have provided absolutely great feedback. I don't know if I got more from this or if everybody else got some. (laughs) This has been great.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I just, uh, I, I want to see it continue. That's the way I say that. And and running the model you're running right now, barely breaking even or even losing money, you're you're not going to keep it up. You're going to come to a crisis in your in your financial life, or your time is going to be impinged upon. And I know because I'm doing this right. I I, I I'm putting out uh, uh, hours and hours of content every week. And working a real job and feeding three kids and a wife, uh, and those crises do come, and you know you're going to fold up and walk away if you don't have some incentive. So I don't want that to happen. So people who are mad at me right now for talking you into to raising your prices, um, the idea is to keep it around because it's a good yeah. thing.
2: I, I love this site. I mean, I'm if there's a lot of the the classes that you were the courses that are really interesting, and I haven't I, my my level of knowledge in those in some of those. Courses are really low, and this would be a great way to get some of the some groundwork for some of those some of those building blocks. Like I was saying earlier, to get me f- even more versed.
3: Absolutely. What what I try to do is 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 dig into the in in deep in depth items uh, items that a lot of times you you miss but are very important. Uh, but as well as cover those other topics that you uh, don't always miss, but really want to learn how to do, whether it's setting up Samba on your home network or, or you know, system performance monitoring tools and other items. And, and I'm I'm really glad you guys like it, and I'm really glad that you had me on. I appreciate it.
1: All cool. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, so I think that's a good place to to wrap it up. Uh, again, LinuxAcademy dot com slash sign up slash Everyday Linux. Uh, And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And that gives you a, what is that, 50%? Not 50%, 20, 30% discount. 33%, that's it. It's 15 to 10. 33% discount. Um, I said I was good at math, then turns out I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Anthony, uh, stick with us just a little bit longer. Uh, We have our regular um, sort of wrap-up thing for the show. We have our tips of the week, beginning with the command line Godfather's command line. Of the week.
2: Well, today's um, I've been actually doing some bandwidth testing and, and server checking on my end because my network has been all of a sudden really weird getting to different websites. And normally I would fire up ping and trace route, um, but I found a pro I found a command line that I knew about and forgot about, knew about and forgot about, and it's mtr. What mtr does is it automatic. It, it does a ping and trace route at the same time. So instead of running two separate commands, you get the same benefit of one. Uh, and you can find out if you get, when things reroute and it's a really good tool to know and to have in your back pocket. If you start having network issues,
0: good stuff. Network issues can be a bear to track down. We all know that. Yes. Um, and uh, Anthony just a uh, heads up after Seth does his link of the week. I'm going to come to you for an administration tip of the week. Putting you on the spot i give you 45 seconds of advance notice uh sure. so, so seth what is your uh, bizarre seth tip of the week
1: actually i'm getting one that everybody can use in their day-to-day life uh, you know we've talked about dropbox in the past as a way to secure or to back up stuff on the crap on the cloud um, another one i came across is box and normally you get five gigs free on box but they have a limited time special offer, and it seems like they might always be having some special offer yeah. like this. Um, but for the Dell Advantage Loyalty Program members, which I am not, but I signed up anyway using this page, I get 50 gigs of online storage. Now there is a limit on the size of a individual file you can use, but. You know, if, you, if you've taken pictures, you know, 400 pictures of your kid every day for the last, you know, 10 years of their life.
0: And we lost him right in the middle of a sentence there. Um, I will yes. say that uh, Box, uh, Box.net is, does frequently uh, have these sort of things. For a while, they had a, if you connect an iOS or Android device, you get 50 gigs. Let's put it this way. you're going to get 50 gigs. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, and they are changing their um, policies. When initially, when I first signed up, I have a, a box.net. Uh, actually, they're dropping the .net. Now they just say box account. And initially, uh, you can only upload a file of, I think, five megs. So it's really small files. Uh, and now I think it's up to 200 megs. It's it's gradient. So the more you put up there, the smaller the files can be. Um, they really want to discourage people putting you know DVDs up there. Uh, so for what I do, it's useless. I, I deal in very large files. But if you don't deal in large files, uh, it's a great way to get 50 gigs of free storage.
1: Yeah, and even if you're not going to use it today, I would still suggest signing up because you might not have the 50 gig option whenever you get around to using it. And the file size limit they have today might be different tomorrow.
0: Right. And, uh, Seth, you could uh, upload 50 gigs of data in, what, seven or eight years, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, something like that. You know, um I could probably, I would probably just back it up to a um like a, an external USB drive and mail it to them and ask right. them to upload it for me.
0: You know, Carbonite does that. Uh just a free plug for Carbonite. Uh you can send them a hard drive and they'll throw it onto your account for you and not have to do uh the upload. And then when you want to get it back, you can send them a hard drive and they'll download it for you. There's a fee for that. But it's a great way to get immediate backup if you're if you're stranded. Just out of thought I'd that That's pretty cool. I am a Carbonite customer. They don't sponsor the show. I wish they would, uh, but uh, I just like it because I like it. Uh, all right, uh, Anthony, what have you got for us? So I'm
3: going to suggest a tool that I had to spend a little bit of time in this past week for troubleshooting uh, an issue. But if, uh, if you're not using it now, I would definitely look into CollectD. It's great for graphing CPU processes and logs over time and giving you kind of a visual representation uh, when you're trying to troubleshoot an issue when a certain spike arises. Uh, one thing to know about that though is when you install CollectD, uh, that's really just kind of the service. You'll need to install CollectD web in order to look at the graphs and a GUI interface
0: collect as in to collect payment d as in damon yes collect d
3: okay not bad for cool. my first time off the spot maybe
0: i have not heard of that one so uh <laughs> you stumped me of course i i don't live in the command line like the godfather does over there i'm sure he knows yes. about it he probably yeah, to he has
3: yes He's got to live in the command line with that bandwidth. (laughs) That's a
2: good point. There's a reason why I do SSH everywhere.
0: (laughs) All right, this was a good show. Thanks for coming on, Anthony. It was uh, informative and uh, entertaining, and I'm I'm glad you did it. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. Just, uh, Just give us a shout. Um,
3: Thanks for having me.
0: If you have questions for uh, Anthony, I'm sure there is a contact us link over at LinuxAcademy.com, or you can forward them uh, forward them onto me at elementop.com. Use the contact us button at the top of the page. Uh, if you want to uh, be on the show in a very real way, you can use the uh, leave us a voicemail widget or call five five nine. I am Opie. Uh, and that will leave us a. Uh, you can leave us a Google Voice message there, and I will play it on the air. We're also on the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Google Pluses and the YouTubes. We're all over the place. Just type in Everyday Linux, and we're going to come up in the first few links for sure. We're still not. We're not at the top yet. We're working on that, but uh, we're we're going to be on the first page. I promise. Um, so, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being our guest, uh, Anthony. And I'm going to say that ends this week's episode of Everyday Linux.